0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. We are in Acts chapter 17 this morning, and so with that in mind, will you stand with me for the reading of the word? And I'm going to pick up the reading here at verse 24 in Paul's excellent message to the Uh, Greeks there in Athens. This is what he says. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is not actually far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of our own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." The dead, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This is a great, great passage for a number of reasons. And whenever you're a pastor or a preacher, you're you're kind of wrestling with where you actually take that particular message, where you focus it. Initially, I focused it in this idea that we should be sharing the gospel, how we share the gospel with those who disagree. And I still believe that's the purpose of the text, but I want you to just, for just a moment, um, put a caveat on it. This is a passage where Paul is overwhelmed by the idolatry he sees in the city of Athens. And it's easy for us to think well we're not idol worshipers because there aren't any idols in my house and we forget that there are idols in our lives. Uh, things like materialism, things like hedonism, things like, um, like, like, like looking at the things that draw us from the world around us. So while we are looking at it for how we share the gospel with those who disagree, I don't want you to think you're exempt from this passage, like you're the only person looking and saying, okay, now I know what to do with, uh, with people who are lost. I want you to also recognize that there is a place in this text for you to say, am I living like an idolater even though I claim to be a Christian? Okay. So with that in mind, let's just unpack it. Sharing the gospel with those who disagree. There's three things we got to do. We got to find, we got to share, we got to expect. Okay? So, the first thing you want to do is find commonality to start the conversation. Now, I read from you Acts chapter 17, uh, starting at verse 24. But if you drift back up to verse uh, a little early, well, let me show you this real quickly. Here's how Paul finds commonality. He is talking to Greeks. Um, he is talking to people that he is not one of them And yet notice, when he's standing in the midst of Areopagus, that's the mountain, you'll see it in a second. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Notice how kind this is. He isn't saying, let me tell you what's wrong with you. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Here it comes. What therefore you worship it is unknown, this I proclaim to you. I want you to see that Paul started with a conversation, a commonality. He didn't just start with a conversation that said, let me tell you what's wrong with you. And I want you to see that because we find commonality to start the conversation. Three things you want to do. Ask questions, be knowledgeable, and don't wait. Okay? Ask questions. Ask questions. And here's my way of saying that. It's a better bridge than your anger. Right? You say, well, Paul wasn't angry. Oh, yes, he was. That's what makes this passage so amazing. Paul was ticked off. Okay? And I'll show you that in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city that was full of idols. Now, the word provoked here is a word that actually means kind of like to be laid alongside acid, okay? Like something that's just, it just is eating at your heart. Like, just picture that, okay? Like it's just eating away at your heart. He, he is legitimately angry, and frustrated with what he sees. Bear in mind, he's got the gospel, the good news. He steps into Athens where there are temples built to false gods, where every place he turns, there's another idol. So there is anger here for Paul. But I love this, verse 17, so he reasoned. That's the Greek word, diaglomai. It's a word that means he's q and Aing with them, okay? He's talking with them. He's asking questions of them. And I just want you to picture this again. Ask questions. It's a better bridge than your anger. You say, the things I see in this world, Phil, today make me so angry. I just can't help but say something about them. Okay? I get it. But that's not a good bridge. Okay? like I'll just be real specific. That's dynamite under the bridge. Okay? That's what that is. You have every right to be righteously angry. But if you want to build a bridge to people to share the gospel with them, then you better find a way to start asking questions. Dialogue with them. In fact, the Life Application Bible Study adds this note. Paul turned his internal turmoil into positive action. He looked for opportunities to share the gospel. Does the lostness of people move you to action? Don't forget, people are lost. They're confused. You're going to see that in a moment when we talk about the Epicureans and Stoics. Okay, here we go. Be knowledgeable. Understand what they know and what they don't know. Be knowledgeable. Understand what they know and what they don't know. Paul understood something about the people he's talking to here. He calls them, uh, he references them as Epicureans and Stoics. So I'll unpack that for you in a moment. But you will not believe how much these people living 2,000 years ago are exactly like us. Okay? And Paul has an answer tucked in the gospel. It's, it's in the gospel that explains something purposeful that... They can't answer. He's going to give you that in a second, but you need to be knowledgeable, understand what they know and what they don't know. If you are engaging with the people around you and they're talking with you and you don't know, you better sit down and have a cup of coffee and ask some questions because before you think you know it all, you need to understand where they're coming from. That's exactly what Paul does. Paul does. And he does that incredibly in this passage because he's talking to, verse 18 there at the bottom, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. These individuals were talking with him. So here's what you got, so typical of Paul, he comes there, he goes into the synagogue, remember that's not the Jewish temple, that's kind of like the Jewish Sunday school, Jewish Saturday school, okay? That's where they would go and meet, okay? They'd go and meet there and they'd interact about these truths, that's what they're doing, okay? And he talks with devout persons, but then he goes to the marketplace. And if you're thinking of the marketplace like the shopping mall, that's not what it was like, okay? The marketplace was where people conversed about their ideas. They sat down. They talked about these things. They wanted to interact with them. That's what's happening here. They are interacting in the marketplace with those who happen to be there. And some of those who were Epicureans or Stoics were there. Now, I have to explain that to you briefly. So just for a moment, here's what's going on there. The Epicureans and Stoics were the dominant philosophers in the Greek culture, okay? The Epicureans believed that seeking happiness and pleasure was the primary goal of life. Okay, stop right there. The Epicureans believed that seeking happiness and pleasure was the primary goal of life. Does that sound vaguely familiar at all, okay? Yeah, you're laughing because you know that that's what everybody is thinking, right? If I'm happy... If I'm happy, that's what I'm supposed to be doing, right? If I find pleasure, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's exactly what our world operates on. Now, now, for just a moment, understand that that does not take into account the fact that the world in which you and I live is a world full of suffering. The Epicurean would say, listen, just ignore the suffering, okay? Uh, It's a bad day. Let's just go get another drink, okay? I just want to put it away. He's running from the difficulties. But look at the Stoics. Stoics place thinking above feeling and try to live in harmony with nature and reason, suppressing their desire for pleasure, thus they were disciplined. So you have this group of people that say, hey, let's just party and forget about it. Okay. And you have this other group of people that says, listen, there's gotta be a rational way to deal with this and the way I'm gonna deal with it is I'm gonna push down my emotions. I'm gonna push everything down. I'm just gonna try to think out of this box. Okay. That's exactly where our world lives. And these are the people to whom Paul was speaking. Paul's got an answer. And the answer kind of gets him upset, but the answer is he keeps speaking about Jesus and the resurrection, okay? Now, for just a moment, understand that. This is what makes the Christian message clearly, in my mind, the best message to the world today because it has an answer for suffering. That's right. The Epicureans didn't, they're gonna drink it away. The Stoics didn't, they're gonna suppress everything they feel about suffering, everything they feel, they're gonna be very disciplined so that they can handle the hard times of life, okay? Only the Christian says, of course there's suffering in the world. Here's the good news, there's a resurrection. Jesus died and he was resurrected so that one day, Paul's about to say in his message, you and I will be resurrected too there is suddenly purpose in the gospel message that is nowhere to be found in the world's philosophy. You want to remember this when you're sitting there across the table from someone who's an Epicurean, okay? You say, all that guy does is party, okay? He has no answer for the suffering he has faced but to try to seek happiness and pleasure. You need to understand that you want to grasp the fact that for the person who seems like they got it all together, They do not. They, too, have the same questions when they lay in bed at night. They might act like they got it all together, like they're the most self-disciplined person you've ever met. I'm telling you, at night they got some questions. And here's the thing, only the gospel has the answer. In fact, um, just another Greek philosopher writing back, I don't know, 460 B.C., observed of the Athenians, that is those in the city to which uh, Paul would be preaching 450 years later, you are the best people of being deceived by something new that is said. Okay. That sounds like something I just pulled off, off the internet, doesn't it? You are the best people of being deceived by something new that is said. Okay. This is the world in which we live. Only God's got the answer for this. Okay. So the first thing you want to do is you want to find commonality To start the conversation, ask questions. It's a better bridge builder than anger is. Be knowledgeable, understand what they know and what they don't know. That's why Paul says, you got an altar here to the unknown God. Let me talk to you about that one. And then don't wait, don't wait. Be praying and looking for opportunities. I love this. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is waiting in Athens. He's waiting for Silas and Timothy to come there. And they said, hey, we'll meet you at Athens. But they don't show up right away. Now imagine last time you were at an appointment and somebody didn't show up, were you like like thinking, you gotta be kidding me? I've got so much to do. Like, why did they not show up? Okay, that's not Paul. Look at this. Now, why while Paul was waiting for them at Athens? Paul said, Listen, they're not here. I got some free time. Who needs the gospel? Okay. That is such a different perspective, isn't it? He's not frustrated. He looks around, he sees the idols, his spirit gets provoked, he grows angry, he says, I gotta talk to somebody about this. He starts to ask questions, he dialogues with them, both in the synagogue and then in the marketplace, and eventually they say to him, whoa, we want you to talk to all of the philosophers in Athens, and we do this on this place called Mars Hill, or the Areopagus, which is right outside, it's a mountain there, you'll see a picture for a second, And so Paul's got his opportunity, and here's what Paul does. He shares scripture-based truths about God. That's it. He shares scripture-based truths about God. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this is really, to me, this is one of the coolest parts of my discovery in the message. Paul doesn't open it up like he does to a bunch of Christians. Like, here I am with you guys, right? I got my Bible open, see? Like, that's it. I got my Bible open. Paul talks about God without any scrolls there, because he knows things about God, because he knew the scriptures so well. He doesn't say things like, oh God's the creator. Let me, I'm gonna explain that to you from Genesis chapter one. He doesn't do that. He just says, let me tell you about the creator God. This is so cool, his understanding of God is shaped by the scriptures. Now, for just a moment if I could take you back to, uh, to that place in Athens, you would know that as you looked out you would see temples built to greet gods and goddesses that were fakes, fake gods and goddesses. You would see idols everywhere you turned. Everybody had an opinion about what God should be like. But Paul's the one who shares this is God from the scriptures. Notice this too. When you see Paul in the book of Acts share in the synagogues, he starts with the scriptures. But when you see him share with people who do not know, He doesn't start with the scriptures because they don't see that as their authority. He starts with the creator, God. Here's five things that he explains about God, okay? Share scripture-based truths about God. Here's five things. and You're gonna get a chance to write them all down. Just stay with me, okay? Here we go. Our creator cannot be created. That's right. Our creator cannot be created. This is what he says, verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth. This God made the world and everything in it. You may not think about this, but this is a great argument with someone who, who doesn't believe in God. You might want to ask them, just if you look at things that are created, do they not speak to the fact that there's a creator? Let me show you that. One of my, uh, my favorite experiences ever. The first time I went to Kiev in Ukraine, uh, my friend invited me to something called the Micro Museum, Okay. And the micro-museum, true, because uh, I've seen it, okay, is a museum where there are world record sculptures that are so small and so minute that you can't really see them until you look through this magnifying lens. And I remember when we walked in there, it's just a museum. It's in an Orthodox church there in Kiev um, that, because the Russians turn those all into museums as opposed to churches, right? So there it is. It's a museum. And I walk in, and it's just one room. And I said to my friend, he said, what do you think? And I said... Well, it's not very big. and He said, Phil, that's why they call it the Micromuseum, okay? So now I start to look through these lenses, and this is what I see. Are you ready for this? I see that a man has sculptured four camels in a pyramid in the eye of a needle, okay? He has sculpted a chess set on the head of a pin, okay? And here's my favorite one up here in the left-hand corner. He has sculpted a rose in a hollowed-out hair, Okay, you say, Phil, that's impossible. When you read about the Russian sculptor who did this work, when he was sculpting underneath the microscope, he learned to sculpt, he learned to, he learned to manage his heartbeats and only sculpt between heartbeats because the pulse in his fingertips would mess up the sculpture he was making, right? So you're talking about minute, minute stuff. When I look at those pictures, I don't once think they created themselves, I don't once think they have a right to say to their creator whatever they want to say. I mean, can you imagine the four camels jumping out of the eye of a needle and saying, we don't like the way you made us? Okay. We're really tiny, fix that, okay? You say, that's Phil, that's nonsensical. Exactly. And yet all of these Greeks in the city of Athens had sculpted images of what they thought God was like. The creation was making the creator Paul just says that's not the way it is. And remember I said, Paul is pulling these things. He doesn't have a New Testament yet, right? Because he's writing it, okay? He doesn't have the New Testament yet. So he's got the Old Testament, and he's pulling all of these ideas from Old Testament passages without actually telling them he is because they don't, have an authority, they don't believe the Bible's in authority. Our creator cannot be created. Notice how Jeremiah 10 says it. It is he who made the earth by his power Who established the world by his wisdom, by his understanding, stretched out heavens. For he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Paul just says, Hey, listen, the Creator cannot be created. First principle. Here's the second one Our Lord is not controlled by his creation. That's right. Our Lord is not controlled by his creation. Now, if you want to add something, you say, Well, what does control God? I'm I'm going to give you something that does. You just want to put it there. Our Lord is not controlled by his creation, he is controlled by his character. Hebrews says, What? It is impossible for God to lie. So, God is controlled to manage integrity and honesty because he cannot lie. But he's not controlled by us. And that's a really hopeful statement when you all of a sudden flip on the news and see what's going on in the world around you, right? It's a little easy to get a little freaked out, but we just remind ourselves, our Lord is not controlled by his creation. Let me show you this. Here's the text. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Now watch this. This is so cool. Here, if you look in the foreground, right here is Areopagus, that's Mars Hill. That's where Paul is standing. They pull him up there and say, hey, listen, we want to talk these matters over. We got a court we talk them over with. Here's where we want to talk with you about them. That's where they do it, okay? But look at what's up just right up there. The Greek temple is up there on that other mountain. It's like Paul is saying, listen, the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth, he's not living in your temple, okay? He's not in your temple because he's not controlled by you. You build him a temple, you think that's the only place he's going to stay? You got it totally wrong. Okay. See Apollo Paul is reasoning with them from a scripture-based understanding of God. In fact, you say, well, I thought Solomon built a temple. That's right. Look at what Solomon says about his temple. Upon the building of the temple, Solomon said, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built." He says, listen, we'll worship you here, Lord, but we understand you, you can't, you're not just going to move in here and, and, and not know what's going on in the rest of the world, okay? Our Lord is not controlled by his creation. Here's the second one. Our sustainer has a plan. Our sustainer has a plan. And when you unpack this passage in Acts chapter 17, you're going to see it, okay? Here we go. It says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. There it is, okay? Um, By by the way, just for a moment, just do this with me. Find your pulse. Can you do that? Uh, If you can't, we got a problem, okay? I want you to find your pulse for just a moment. Feel it. Feel it beating. Feel it moving. You understand this text? Since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. There's a good chance, unless you're a pretty severe asthmatic, severe asthmatic and you're here struggling today to breathe, there's a pretty good chance not one person in this auditorium thought once about breathing. Okay. And you know what? He is the one who sustains us. All breath, heartbeat, everything. But notice what he says. I love this. And he made from one man, that would be Adam, every nation of mankind. Genesis 11, Tower of Babel starts. Nobody can find who's speaking in their language. They all kind of clump off with people who speak their language. They run off and they start their own nation. That's how it works, right? But notice this having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. This is not a God who is not involved, this is a God who is intimately involved in the details. One of my favorite verses, I had a chance to share it at my son's wedding um, recently, is this passage in Galatians chapter four where it says, for when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You need to just pause and think about that phrase for a second, when the fullness of time had come. When you read the Christmas story, Luke chapter two, and you see that, oh, there was the time of Caesar Augustus and he put out a decree that all the world should be taxed. And so therefore, Mary, who is living in, in, in Nazareth, has to travel some 70 miles south to be in Bethlehem right when she's expecting the baby. Like all of that is happening because God is in control of Caesar Augustus over there and he's also in control of the other people who are overseeing. He, he's got the, the top-level management, the middle-level middle management. He's got all levels of management covered, okay? This is what it means, when we say, for the fullness of time had come. And for just a moment... Just let that settle in. Just hold on to that. The next time you have to stand in line and you're waiting, okay, and you're saying, good grief, can't they hire somebody to do this, okay? I just want to remind you, in that moment, God has not lost control. Fullness of time is coming. I can remember that because at my son's wedding recently, I shared this story and I said, listen, this is a beautiful thing to know on your wedding day, that God in his providence brought you guys together because the story kind of worked like this, and, and they're not here, so I can tell it on them, right? Okay. My son, Adam, got a job in Greenville, South Carolina. He moves to Greenville, South Carolina. He says, Dad, I, I, I'm going to go down this weekend to look for an apartment. I said, I don't think I'd do that. Um, you know, I, I think you should just live homeless for a while. I, I didn't say that. Okay. I said, you have an aunt and uncle that live in, India, in, live in Greenville, South Carolina. Ask them if you can stay with them for a few weeks while you look for an apartment. Then there's no pressure, right? So he goes down, he stays. There is a tornado that comes through South Carolina, and so his future fiancé calls my, um, his aunt and uncle and says, because they had a common acquaintance in their daughter, says, hey, can I stop at your parents' house? Okay. Now, just imagine this for a moment. My son sits at the kitchen table. He's playing a game of cards. There is a knock at the door. The door opens, and she walks through the door. They have no means of meeting if this doesn't happen. They were in the same college for two and a half years. They never saw each other. They didn't know each other. They had the same friend groups. You'd think they'd have run into each other. Never happened. But God, in his sovereignty and in his providence, arranges a moment where... She's going to drive drive right back to Charleston. I need her to stop at Greenville. Let's see. Okay, I'll drop a tornado over here and she'll have to stop. (laughs) That's how that works, see. And do you understand what a comfort that is when all of a sudden you enter a marriage and you go through some difficult times and you face the valleys? You know that the God who arranged all of that is also the God who's arranging all of this, see. It's beautiful. Can you look at those phrases again? Allotted periods and boundaries. God sets boundaries between nations. He sets time frames when people will reign and rule. This is what Paul is saying. He says, listen, this sustainer, this sustainer has a plan. Okay? You say, cool, what's the plan? Glad you asked. Here it is. Oh, I'll show you that, by the way, back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people. This is what Paul knows. He knows his Bible. So he just says, hey, listen, let me tell you something about the sustainer. He's got a plan, okay? Here's the fourth idea. Our Savior can be found. I love this. You need to know this when you're sharing the gospel with people. Our Savior can be found. Notice what the message says, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. It's beautiful. Notice what Isaiah says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. Love that. You thought God was going to be angry at you? When you are seeking him and coming through Christ, he will abundantly pardon. The Savior can be found. You and I need to let the people in our world know that. It shouldn't be a surprise. They have developed their entire worldview around what brings happiness and pleasure. That's how they define what God wants for them. Or they've developed their entire worldview of saying, it's really hard, I'm just gonna buck up underneath and I'm gonna get really, really strong, I'm gonna be very self-disciplined. All the while, what's between both of those positions is the true biblical position. Life is hard. It's filled with suffering because sin came into the world and suffering brings death and sin brings death and suffering is a part of that and that's all a part of it. Here's the good news, there's a resurrection because Jesus died on the cross to save from sin. And when Paul says this, notice what he says. He says, they should seek for God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Can you imagine? You're an Epicurean, you're a Stoic, you're walking home that afternoon, you're walking past all these idols, they can't do anything for you. And yet someone has just told you that if you seek this God, because he's starting that work in your heart, if you seek this God, you will find him. And Paul goes on to say, actually, he's not even really that far from us, okay? He's not that far from us. Here's the final idea, and it's a good warning. Our judge will hold us accountable. Our creator cannot be created. Our Lord is not controlled by his creation. Our sustainer has a plan. Our savior can be found, and our judge will hold us accountable. In fact, Paul in this message in Acts 17 goes on to say that. Verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Now, up until this point, just know this there is no interruption from these philosophers who are listening to him, they listen to everything he says. He, they're about to get upset when he talks about raising him from the dead because they can't comprehend the resurrection because they can't comprehend their purposes to suffering because they ran off to happiness or they ran off to self-discipline, but they didn't really grasp suffering as a part of life and the fact that it is a part of life, and therefore, because it is a part of life, I better find a different hope, and that's in the gospel, okay? But notice with me, if you could, Isaiah 66. For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh and those who are slain by the Lord shall be many. You cannot speak of God without considering if you're gonna have a scripture-based position on God. You cannot speak about God without speaking him about him as the judge who holds us accountable. He's not God if he doesn't do that. He is the creator who can't be created, so he's got a right to rule. Therefore, whatever his rules were or his laws were, you and I have to say, listen, I can't tell him one day, well, that's, I just decided to do it differently. He ultimately is the judge who will hold us accountable. Yesterday when I was running, I downloaded some old music from the 70s. I'll do that sometimes, just to make me feel younger than I really am, okay? And I came up on this song that I thought, wow, that thing was written probably 50 years ago, and yet it, uh, it seems to capture the world in which we live. Because for the last, I don't know, few years, I've been saying, it seems like everything's upside down, right? Like the things that made sense before, they're not considered to make sense anymore. And Everything is upside down in our culture and in our world. It's all upside down. And then it occurred to me maybe it's because the people actually are upside down. Look at this song for a second. What if we've fallen into the bottom of the well, thinking we've risen to the top of the mountain? What if we're knocking at the gates of hell, thinking we're heaven bound? But if we spend our lives thinking of ourselves, that sounds like our world, right? When we should have been thinking of each other, what if we reach up and touch the ground? That would be the position of someone who fell down into a well, okay? To find we're living life upside down. Our entire world is living life upside down. They've fallen, but they think they've risen. They will one day be judged by God. And hell is real as it's recorded in the scriptures. But all the while they think they're heaven bound. Why? Because they've pursued the God of their happiness and the God of their pleasure and they've, re- they've, 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 they've de- determined that that's how they are to be identified by pursuing that or they become very self-disciplined, very self-righteous. And all the while, everybody's upside down. This is why we share the gospel with those who disagree. There's so one more thing you need to know. Expect some to reject, some to accept, and some to procrastinate. That's right. Right in the text, you got it. Here we go. Acts 17, verse 32. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, see, there's where it was. By the way, that's the only thing that gives purpose to suffering The fact that even Christ went through all that suffering, but he was resurrected. He just didn't disappear off the planet. in, In some other way, he was resurrected. When they heard it, some mocked. That's right. Some said, we will hear you again on this. That's procrastinating. And some men joined him and believed. That's why we say expect some to reject, expect some to accept, and expect some to procrastinate. But I love this. Two names are listed here, Deontius and Damaris. Notice how those that mocked, their names are never recorded. Those that procrastinated, their names aren't recorded. But those who believed, suddenly, personally, their name is recorded because they are now in the family of God. When it comes to sharing the gospel with those who disagree, Find commonalities, start the conversation. Share scripture-based truths about God. Expect some to reject, some to accept, some to procrastinate. But it doesn't change the fact that we should want to share, because the world's upside down. I ask you, when we started, to make sure that you were giving thought to maybe some of your idols, that maybe the Spirit of God might use the message differently He might just not say, okay, there's the truths about how I'm going to share. But you might the Spirit of God might have pricked your heart and said, hey, maybe you got some idols in your heart just like they had idols in Athens. I want you to ponder that because wherever we have idols, we tend not to do what God wants us to do. So you can have great intents into sharing the gospel with those who disagree, but you're not going to do it or you're not going to do it well if you yourself are still an idol worshiper. So ask the Lord what He would have you do there.